Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Trish, I'm in quite a cross mood because I'm about to uh, instigate something in the household, which is infuriating, but am I overreacting? I'm going to put a little bit of a uh, loo roll quota list out there. I'm going to give everyone a loo roll. It's going to be their loo roll, and they're going to have to use it during the week themselves and be aware of it because I need to ration it, Trish, because they're all back from uni. We're going through about two and a half thousand loo rolls a week, and it's ridiculous. Well, they're expensive, aren't they? They're expensive. Well, I've been doing some maths for you, Lorraine, because I've discovered in my rigorous research that we should all we, we use about seven sheets per wipe, not ninety-seven. So, if you do a little bit of maths on the number of people in your house times the number of loos times the number of wipes times the time. My reckoning is you, your family should be going through 10 rolls a week. Right. So that's your rationing. They get one and a third rolls each. Wow. I think it's going to be toilet roll wars, isn't it, in your house? Yeah, it will be because we reckoned it was around 18 to 20 a week. That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. No, that's not right. That's not right. Do you think they're doing something secret squirrel that I don't know? Like what? Like doing a papier-mâché of you? When they were little, one of mine would wrap up all um, her toys, uh, bandage them. So for a week or oh. so, we were like, where's all this toilet roll going in the midst of all these toys oh. bandaged? It's like some awful horror show A&E upstairs in her bedroom. I don't know if she's doing that with people maybe this time. I'm not sure. Or maybe maybe the dog. The dog's getting a little wrap up. Yes, could be. Poor Pixel. Anyway, Lou Roll rationing in the candy house. Well, Mr. Candy won't be pleased either because he's a significant user of Lou Roll. <laughs> Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness, careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Oh, well, young Trish, it's about to happen. I'm going to have to just get my head around it, deal with it. Yes. I'm about to turn 55. 55. I am narrowing (laughs) the giant age gap between us. Yes, that whole year and two months all the fives, 55. I know. Or Snakes Alive, 55. I think your local bingo caller would be calling you right now. 
But yes, this show is coming out on your birthday week. Yeah. So it's a special week. You like a bit of a celebration, don't you? Goes on a long time, my birthday week, as you know. Mm. Uh, I'm finally the same age as Kylie, and she's got, I think it's number one, Padam Padam, isn't it? Padam Padam. <laughs> yeah. And a, a hit at 55. Uh, yeah, it's July 8th, my birthday. Same day as Angelica Houston and Kevin Bacon, but they won't be celebrating with me because. I'm heading to Cornwall to do a, a bit of a giant sea swim with some of my girlfriends. Lovely. Last year, we did Joe Wiley's 90s anthems in Froom. Yes, you had you a great recall. time at that. Yes, didn't you danced yes. our socks off. This year, a little bit of a swim and down to the rum bar for some old lady rosé, as my children call it, uh, at sunset afterwards on the beach. And then the family are joining me. What did you do for your 55th? Remind me. I tell you what, this year I had to lie down in a dark room for the day, didn't I? Because um, it was the day after postcards <laughs> make life live. <laughs> it's a bit exhausting. Which aged you 20 years. Exactly, exactly. So that was a bit full on. I think it's very celebratory. Well, you're feeling celebratory. That's good. Yes, and I'm in, a, in quite a celebratory mood with all our lovely listeners as well because we had a very celebratory post on the Facebook group this week. Oh, Julie Lawrence, who you may remember we mm. met, had our picture taken with at Postcards from Midlife Live. Yes. Got an MBE for political services. She was uh, director of the Labour Party for 20 years. Imagine just how fabulous to get an M MBE. Even Marion, your judgy old alter yes. ego, she'd be pleased with that, wouldn't she? She might like one of those, I think. But yes, the, the Facebook group. <laughs> the gifts it keeps on giving because um, they're so, so fabulous on there. And they told us they've been enjoying our travel tips. Oh. All the giggles, all the advice over the past few episodes, which we did in partnership with Saw Days. And they've been helping each other out with parenting advice, husband advice, skincare tips, all sorts, as well as cheering each other on during quite emotional and pivotal moments in their lives. Geraldine, for example, she posted about her cancer journey and a new haircut with great humour, such a difficult time, and really glad that we could have all been there for her with that. Yes, she did. She wrote, um, if you want a good giggle, I finished with surgery, chemotherapy and radiation. Quite a lead-in to that sentence. Sadly, I've also finished with HRT, so I went for a new hairdo. I was thinking of something along the lines of Mia Farrow meets Twiggy. Ended up coming out looking more like Yazoo. Remember, <laughs> new romantic, Salison Moyer. Personally, I think she looks great. Really, really tight crop, um, bleach blonde. She, she had a lot of lovely supportive comments uh, underneath and she replied to one of them. Well, before the chop and the bleach, three women had asked if I was my daughter's grandma. But it's been 10 days since the haircut and seven women stopped me in the street to tell me they love my hair. So it's really grown on me. That's lovely, isn't it? It's literally grown on her. That's <laughs> the, the cut and the hair have grown on her, which is brilliant. So we feel quite proud, don't we, that yeah. we've created such a lovely uh, safe space for women to go to with all their questions and queries and people can post anonymously because there are some quite intimate ones on there where you know you really might be struggling and don't know where else to go but I think you might be able to give them more some gardening advice Lauren, after your green fingered <laughs> success surprising green fingered success can I say do you want to give a little update so there was a bit of a fiasco that you mentioned a few weeks ago quite frankly I think I need an MBE for this because uh, it's a pivotal moment I need the praise I've grown a dahlia, Trish. A whole one singular dahlia. It's amazing. Now, you may remember uh -huh. 
this hard line frontline news podcast mm. that we are that um I had planted uh, what I thought were all my dahlia bulbs upside down because they resemble something from a kind of horror show dahlia bulbs and really horrible to look at. I didn't really know which way to put them in, so I just put them in. And I thought, well, they're doomed, talked about it on the podcast. Turns out not doomed at all. They've come up and bloomed. They look amazing in my little window box. Beautiful. Which colours did you get? Purple. Purple. Purple dahlia. Mm -hmm. uh, they're very tall dahlias, aren't they? They're almost as tall as uh, short-ass me. Um, is this what being an adult is about Trish growing dahlias in your window box. Am I there? Well, 55, growing a dahlia, but I'm maybe not quite there. <laughs> but I have a feeling that today's guest is, is going to help you maybe finally blossom and bloom into grown-upness, eldership maybe even, can I say. Um, it's coach and therapist Donna Lancaster, whom we mentioned quite a few times. She's a big girl crush of ours, isn't she, on this show? Um, she has really practical and useful advice and is just so helpful for midlife women. Actually changed my life uh, with this six-month course um, that I did with yes. her. And I really wanted to get her on to speak directly to everyone because I think she might help change other people's lives too. Yeah, I can't wait to interview Donna. I met her at our live show and um, she's one of the few people I've allowed to give me a big hug. She breached the... The protective Breached bubble. The icy. She went through. Frosty. She just came through. And do you know what it was like? It was like a warm treacle bath. Um, absolutely gorgeous. And I'm hoping that uh, it will feel like that for our listeners today. It'd be a real treat. Um, I think you'll probably need to listen to this one a couple of times and maybe take notes. Yes, lots of useful things. And we also have some guidance from another great woman we have met on our own personal midlife journeys. That's menopause GP, Dr. Emma Ping. Um, she's actually one of the experts on our Facebook group. She's really helpful on there and she's given us some of the answers to those embarrassing, niggly questions that are often asked on the groups, the ones you might blush a bit asking. I do feel for the for the ladies yeah. with these. We interviewed her and she told us all about uh, what's going on with your itchy, lumpy skin, smelly armpits, lumpy breasts, weird indigestion. And this was my favourite one, sudden onset midlife blushing. Yes. I mean, what's that all about? She really knows her stuff because she does specialise in midlife women and she's been through it all herself. So her advice will be coming up in our How to Win at Midlife section after our interview with Donna. Now, for all of us grappling with the big midlife questions, such as who am I, what is my purpose and how do I really want this next stage of my life to be? This week's special guest, coach and therapist Donna Lancaster, has the tools to help us unlock the answers. If her name is ringing a bell, that's because we've talked about Donna on this show before. Last year, we discussed what we learned from reading her brilliant book, The Bridge, A Nine-Step Crossing into Authentic and Wholehearted Living. And earlier this year, I shared some of my own experiences when I completed her six-month course, Deepening into Life, which I have to say has been one of the most life-enhancing things I've done in a very long time. But don't just take our word for it. Fern Cotton is also a huge fan of Donna's work, which includes her latest book, Wise Words for Women, described as a pocketbook of comfort, advice and love for any woman anywhere. And I should also mention that we do, in fact, have five copies of Donna's book, Wise Words for Women, to give away over on our Facebook group. A former social worker, Donna, now 56, is a mother to two daughters and has three grandchildren. But she grew up with a violent, alcoholic father 
that led to the first half of her life being defined by hurt, anger and a breakdown. Now, though, she has created a life she describes as authenticity, lightness and truth, where she doesn't pretend to feel or be something she isn't. And who wouldn't want some of that? Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Donna. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be invited back. Well, we've got so much to talk to you about, but we thought we'd start with the kind of crux of the things by asking you, what do you mean by wholehearted living? So what I mean by wholehearted living is I'm a very visual person and I have this uh, image of as we go through our life as part of being human, as we have experiences where we get hurt as part of being human. Yeah, some something doesn't work out. We don't get the university place we want. We don't get picked for the netball team at school. The boy, boy or girl that we like doesn't like us. And then on and on that goes through life. And because generally we're not taught how to process healthily process emotions, what happens is we symbolically close down pockets of our heart. So it's like you close down, ouch, that hurts. So it's too painful and I've not been taught how to process it. So I close that part down and then another part and then another part. And slowly over time, you become half-hearted. You don't live with a full open heart because you've got all these pain pockets closed in your heart that you daren't go towards because ouch, they're too painful. So that's what I mean by wholehearted living is the work that I do is part of the work that I do is supporting people to dare to go near those pockets of pain, to feel them safely release the emotions. And then lo and behold, you come back to wholehearted living, who you were before the world broke your heart one too many times. That's a lovely explanation. So in midlife though, when a bit of a reckoning occurs, you start to examine all these pockets of pain again don't you it's a sort of it's quite a liminal time because we're moving from one phase to another and it's going to take us we need to sit with that don't we and work out how to figure it out where should we start if we want to do that in midlife yeah I think midlife you're absolutely right it is really a liminal time and um and I think what many of us do is we get busy or we continue to be busy, you know, distract, yeah, exactly, rather than you know, daring to face those pockets of pain. So, I think that midlife is an initiation. First of all, we have to have the courage and the capacity to slow down a bit. And it's that thing, like, you know, when my children left home, I was rattling around in this house, and also, who am I if I'm not a mother? And you know, and so I believe that when we hit midlife, we have this opportunity to slow everything down. The starting point is awareness. It's starting to really inquire within about what do I want to do with the rest of my life? You know, for many of us, if we're privileged enough to make midlife and beyond, it's like, goodness, I've been gifted these extra years that many of my peers maybe haven't, uh, or some of them. And so, what do I want my life to look like? So it's really like a review. It's a bit like the end of year, kind of New Year's Eve kind of reviews, if anyone does that kind of thing. I think midlife, that's a good starting point. And then it's like looking at um, those questions of the kind of deeper questions around what do I need to let go of in order to invite in something fresh, something new. And sometimes that is relationships, friendships, um, you know, letting go of stuff, you know, too much attachment to stuff. I think midlife is a real process of shedding. You know, it's just shedding, shedding, shedding old core beliefs that were like, blah, blah, your bum's this, blah, blah, you should that. And you just shed, shed, shed. 
you know, I think decluttering is a really good sign for midlifers. You know, we start to like, nah, nah. And it doesn't mean you don't enjoy, you know, objects or belongings. It just means you really want to sort of um, hold close what's important to you, including relationships, object, whatever it might be, but let go of what maybe no longer serves you if it ever did. I think our listeners can probably tell already that you have a real gift for communication and relaying your ideas. And, um, you know, I'm such a fan of your writing as well. You write these really beautiful, comforting, encouraging words on Instagram and in your books. If anybody's not following you on Instagram, they should be. But we'd love you to read something for our listeners, maybe that touches specifically on midlife, Donna. I would love to do this, Trish. And um, I actually read this same piece at your event. So it's perfect that that you sort of asked me to, to read this one. So this is a piece that I wrote called Deeper. As my eyes weaken, my vision expands way beyond the ego's limited comprehension. Finally, I can truly see. As my hearing declines, what did they say? My capacity to listen to the small voice within gets louder and clearer. As my memory fades and I forget details of the mundane, names, numbers, stories, faces, and where I left my bloody glasses, I am freed up to remember a deeper truth, the story beyond the story. As my throat opens, I find the words of truth I swallowed long ago, like so many women, and now these words, they just tumble out of me. No, I don't want to do that. Yes, I am angry. No, I won't be quiet. Yes, I will have to. I refuse to be afraid or to play small, nice and good another single day. I am clumsily and beautifully my true self. As I recognise that I might never meet the one, I remember that I already have. She's been with me all along whilst I was busy looking over there. I commit to her as the true love of my life and quietly whisper, I do. I choose you, and everything changes from here. As my heart breaks once again, it opens even wider than before, and divine love flows through me and heals me with its Midas touch of kindness and compassion. And as my boobs drop, my soul rises. I've had my turn for perky tits and how I love those fun bags but now it's someone else's turn to enjoy those shallow waters. I'm heading somewhere far deeper. I'm diving for pearls. It's lovely. So that's about loving yourself, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think it's maybe this generation particularly, probably the one before as well, quite hard for some women. They really struggle with even liking themselves, don't they, throughout life, and then you hit the reckoning and you've really got to like yourself. Might not like all of it. How do we get our mindset into liking and loving ourselves? Every woman ever has pretty much struggled with this. And one word, patriarchy. Don't get me started <laughs> on that, Donna, God's <laughs> sake. But we are birthed into a system that inherent within that system of the patriarchy is that women are less than. And, so, and, and it's kind of fed to us through our mother's milk. 
because she also was taught that she was less than, as was her mother and her mother behind her. And so it's like come into us. It's like in our DNA. It's through the milk. It's, and so it's deeply ingrained in us from the very beginning of our life, even in utero, you know. And so it's then that process. And again, I think this is a midlife piece of really starting to question our core beliefs and where they came from. And I, you know, I often describe all of these sort of negative beliefs that have been kind of shot into us through society or our family or, you know, through church or whatever it might be for people. I, I start to I describe them as poisoned arrows, not all of them, of course, but the negative, the, the amount of kind of internalized misogyny that so many women hold. And it's like, poison insidious arrows and their and their poison seeps into us slowly and deeply and then we we're kind of like in a trance I call it the patriarchal trance it's like oh yeah I'm not good enough uh, you know I'm not powerful enough men are better than me there's something wrong with every part of me you know or I like my little fingernail you know it's like and we we are so ungenerous with ourselves so it's just such a deeply ingrained way of being and the midlife is unlearning what we learn, pulling out those poisoned arrows and going, do I really believe this bullshit? <laughs> you know, is this even my arrow? But it can feel quite self-indulgent to think, you know, at this stage of life when my parents are very ill and friends are dying, I'm trying to learn to love myself. It's still, you've still got to get over that voice in your head, haven't you? Absolutely. Especially as a woman because we are taught not to love ourselves and we are reinforced that message again and again not to, that very belief that it's self-indulgent, working on yourself is navel-gazing, it's narcissistic. And you know what I would say to that, Lorraine, is the most narcissistic people I've ever met are the privileged wounded. And what I mean by that, yeah, people that have the money and the resources to work on themselves but refuse to do that and they are walking around leaking their pain over others and hurting other people without having taking responsibility for it. Yeah. And that's a, a, a kind of eldership kind of midlife piece. For me, the least narcissistic, least self-obsessed people are the people that love themselves. Because once you once you make your peace with your body, once you make your peace with your life and yourself, honestly, Lorraine, it's like you get out of your own way. And then it's like, I don't have to talk about how big my bum is in this or how inadequate I am at that. I can be in service in the world because I'm not interested in all that bullshit. And then there's someone over there that's still like, blah, blah. And it's like self-obsession. You know, I call it rather brutally, I call it narcissism on crutches. You know, people limping through life. And let me be really clear here. I'm not suggesting for one minute those people who have emotional wounds or trauma who haven't got the capacity or the resources to support themselves. I'm not talking to those people or about those people. I'm talking about people that go, oh, it's all bullshit. You know, it's all navel gazing. It's all blah, blah, blah. Mend. Mend. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and look where we are. It's like you've only got to look around uh, at the patriarchal system, which we, you know, I have to acknowledge that it does wound men because it robs them of their access to their heart and who wants to live in a heartless body you know embodiment no thanks and that postcards from midlife you told us after your session which was jam-packed that you met several women who actually cried because they were telling you that this sense of sheer relief of being seen and feeling seen and that they mattered and that they weren't invisible and that you know being in that room with these women and with you 
what was happening? Tell us a little bit about the session and what advice do you have for anyone who maybe is feeling like that? What I would say, I mean, I'm sure that that was happening all over your event. Yeah. And it was almost overwhelming for women because finally we're not invisible. Finally, you, Lorraine and Trish, it's like you're holding an event that recognises that we matter and, that, and, and you're seeing us. And so all these women were just really full of emotion and coming from one event and one talk. And so I think, you know, it's the women that came into my session, they were just, they were ready to pop. <laughs> so so um, I think it was an emotional day. And, and I think what happened, you know, my session, as you know, was about emotional healing and mindset reboot and really this idea of what it takes to really heal those pockets of pain that we touched on earlier. And then also recognizing that not only, as we've also talked about briefly, the whole patriarchal poison, um, not only does that affect us in kind of as in coming, comes in through our mother's milk, poisoned arrows, but it really infects our thinking. And so we need to not only heal on a, a kind of through the body, but we also need to um, really heal our thinking. You know, the, all of the ways that we make ourselves and keep ourselves small with our language so what I was really talking to the women about in the session was uh, was about the importance of acknowledging that you do carry emotional pain as part of being human and that you have a right to share your story. You know, what happened to you is important with kind, benevolent, loving witnesses, whether that's a therapist or a friend or a community of people, and then to move the body because where does pain live? In the body, emotional pain, grief lives in the body. And so that that piece we did and, you know, I got everybody up and it was so lovely because they were so up for it, you know, and they all got up and, and um, we, I did some sort of therapeutic shaking with, with the whole group. So we were all kind of shaking and moving our body to music and we played like good old Taylor Swift, shake it off. So it was really this ram-packed full room of women, you know, midlife women, like really shaking. And I think that did bring up some of the tears and the emotions that needed to come up and, and clear. And then we talked about banned language, like banning language. Yeah, from your, your language, your repertoire of language around, you know, oh, I'm, I'm useless at that. And oh, I can't do that because I'm, you know, dot, dot, dot. To really actively, you know, say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Because as one woman heals, we all heal. And so if we're really living a, a small version of ourselves, you know, that has an impact on the collective of women. And I think we felt it in that room. And that was like, you know, like the Meg Ryan piece that I told you about where we <laughs> where we all did like this orgasmic, yes, yes. <laughs> now, and it was really about as, as they were sort of coming to a crescendo, it was, it felt like a collective orgasm, you know. And it was like, which is not bad going for a bunch of midlife women, I tell you. And I also talked about, you know, once you heal these wounds, you really clear out the backlog of pain and it leaves this lightness. I think it would be really good for you to tell our listeners your story. And I've heard you speak really movingly of it on other podcasts and where you come from. And I think it's really relevant because there is still this feeling that, you know, accessing all this lovely help and new thinking that you're offering is a very white, elite, middle-class thing. And, and actually, I often use you as an example when I talk to women about how everyone can do this. They can make these moments. Everyone going through the worst circumstances. And you've been through some really tough times. Take us from your kind of childhood and your background to 
how you got to the woman you are today. <laughs> you know I'm 56, right? How long is this podcast? Maybe abbreviate a little bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, my background is uh, one of trauma. And I always say that, you know, pain, emotional pain has been my greatest spiritual teacher. And I grew up a black African father and I had a white British mother. So there was that kind of mixed thing. And we lived in different areas throughout. We, we moved a lot. And so this was in the kind of 60s and 70s. And we'd either live in a very white area where I was that kind of only uh, brown girl and I didn't feel white enough. And then we would move in. We lived in a more black area in, in South London. And it, it was I was the only kind of brown girl. You didn't fit in either way. You know, I had a foot in both camps, but never two feet in one. And so it was this feeling of, of being unbalanced and wonky, as I would call it. And uh, yeah, and my father, you know, he, he really struggled with addiction. He was an alcoholic and very violent. And my mother was also an addict. Uh, it took me some years of therapy to work out that she was a love addict. So she was addicted to my father and his dramas. So it was a very unsafe, very difficult, also very poor. You know, we, we didn't have uh, a lot of money. And so, yeah, that led me unsurprisingly in my, if we fast forward, so it was lots of racism and I was very lonely as a child and this feeling of I don't belong anywhere and I'm not welcome anywhere. And so then you fast forward to me as a young adult and unsurprisingly, I was a teenage mother and I, I married the first man that was nice to me at 18. I married my first boyfriend and, and had a child at 18 and then, met, you know, spit up with him, met another guy, had another baby. You know, it was the sort of in many ways, a kind of inevitable outcome of my very beginnings. And all the times I was looking for a family that I had never belonged to. And then fast forward to my career, I started to work in children's homes initially, and then trained to be a, a child protection social worker. You don't have to be Freud to figure that one out. <laughs> Try to save mini versions of myself. And, and, and yeah, and all of that kind of overgiving in my work and trying to raise two children by that time I was single by myself and it was a lot and, and still only in my 20s you know I was a baby raising babies and um, deeply traumatized but didn't know it you know not fully and then like most people the universe was so kind and so loving that it said okay enough of this nonsense Donna we're going to bring you to your knees and, and I did. I, I As I wrote about in my first book, I was brought to my knees by life. It was like my body collapsed and, and, and just went, we're not living this lie anymore, Donna. You know, it's the cliche breakdown to breakthrough, but that was the moment. And it was around 30 years old. It was definitely a complete life crisis and it needed to happen. It was extremely painful. And um, it was the beginning of this version of me that sits before you on this screen. You retrained and you moved into therapy. Yeah. I left social work after the breakdown because I knew that I was working through what I always call my wound lens, which is if you don't do your own healing work, you're just always making decisions about in your profession or in your life through a, a blurred lens, a wound lens. And so I needed to clean up my own goggles. Uh, and then that made me realize this is not healthy for me to work with traumatized children. I was being, I was re-traumatizing myself every time I went to work with these children. So I thought, I know, I'll have some light relief and I'll go and work in a women's prison. <laughs> so I went to work in a women's prison and then I worked in refuges and, the, you know, and then I retrained and I, I taught a, a 
program called the Hoffman Process, which I believe you know. And then I set up the Bridge Retreat, which I, I know you know of, and, and here we are. But needed that healing, that return to wholehearted living needed to happen before I could do my work without the wound lens and also without costing me um, by triggering my own trauma. You don't suddenly stop going through emotional pain in life just because you are at this position, are you? You will continue, you know, you very much acknowledge that you will continue despite all this work that you've done because that is life, isn't it? But this idea of that we don't know how to deal with it and we need to find a gentle and effective way to process emotional pain. What is a gentle and effective way to process emotional pain? I think it's so important, the gentle piece, because I always say this, is that harshness never healed anyone. And I tried it, so you don't have to, folks. I was really harsh with myself, like, why? Why are you still making these choices? Why are you still going out with these kind of men? Why are you still taking drugs? Why, you know, all of the things that I went through as part of my own struggle with relieving my pain in whichever, whichever drugs of choice I chose, whether that was relationships or you know, whatever. And so the first thing for people is to start to come from a more compassionate place. But that is a struggle if you're full of self-loathing. Well, it's hard if you haven't witnessed it in your childhood as well, isn't it? You, It's a thing you haven't seen. So where can you find it? And what happens a lot for women, and this is was one of the things for me, is uh, first of all, I found a really good female therapist. And she just loved me and it was like so painful to have this with men there was always an agenda they always wanted something from me and then there was this first woman in a way that my mother hadn't been available that was kind of just there for me and of course I was paying her but it was like she really genuinely cared about me and I was like that was so healing in itself but it was like a color I'd never seen a language I'd never spoken so I think for for people as a beginning it is that that bit we have to do the kind of awareness piece of starting to question why we are the way we are. And that's why I think like mapping, like in my first book, I, at The Bridge, I talked about mapping your life through that lens of what has happened to you that has really hurt you, as well as the kind of pieces that have really nourished you. Um, and that can be hard for people because there's a lot often for most of us. But then it is really daring, like I said, to turn towards those parts. And what I would say in terms of the compassion piece is finding people in your life that not only you have that resonance with, and it's usually a lot for women in particular, is female friendships. Yeah. Mm. I learned how to love through the women who loved me through my friendships, you know? And so it was like they helped me become tender because they showed me tenderness. And it's like, oh, wow. And then it sort of broke my heart open. And then I found that I too could be tender towards myself. Yeah, I think there's that. And then there's so many, I said this, somebody recently, he was kind of on Instagram was kind of saying, oh, it's only for the privileged and, and, and this kind of thing. And I know that we all know the issues around NHS referrals for therapy and it's very, very challenging. And I'm not saying I'm like a great example, but I know I was so desperate and I had no money when I first started therapy. And I was like, I'm not advocating this as a way forward, but I got a credit card. Yeah, you write about it in the book. It's really moving, yeah. It's like, I'm going to do this because I have to, if not for me, for my children, I have to save my own life. And that was a hard recognition is 
no one's coming to save you, Donna. You've got to do this. And it was, yeah, I ran, I ran up a bit of debt, but it saved my life and my children's, the, you know, the ripple effect of that. So it's, it is an investment, but there are also so many free resources now on the internet. Breath work, tapping. Of course, some people are like, I don't know where to start. It's just really trusting your gut and seeing, oh, a little clip here, listening to podcasts, like your, you know, the offerings that you have. And there's so many brilliant podcasts like yours out there. And I listen to podcasts all the time to educate myself and to continue to learn and, and grow. So, but there's so much available now. Is um, group therapy cheaper than solo therapy? I mean, I don't do group therapy as such. It's not like sitting around... It's a therapeutic process, but it's not group therapy. But I, I think for me, it's something when I, I, one of my teachers was a West African tribal leader called Sabongfu Some. She was the original queen of grief. Um, she's no longer with us. And, and she said this thing, and it just always stayed with me, Lorraine, where she said, we are wounded in community. So therefore we must heal in community. And what she's saying is the first community ca you came into was your family. That's our original wound, you know, and then you go mm. to school, another community, and then you go to a university or work, another community. And so, and then there's all these different communities. As you know, I'm an introvert and I work in this field, but yet when I participate in groups, it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's my first nightmare to go to a group and open my heart in front of others. But I know the benefits of it. But it's also not for everyone. But in midlife, we, we often say this, Trish and I, that it is your connection to others that is beyond important, that that community is, is the time when your tribe <laughs> is really, really important to have around you, isn't it? And yeah. even if you haven't had trauma in your childhood, yeah. you would have picked it up along the way, won't you? And, and you can give that to the community in, in midlife. Absolutely. And there's nothing more connecting to sort of turn around to the person next to you, as we did in this session, and just say something, share something safely that you feel able to share around what has hurt you and maybe even gifted you something because sometimes these things, there's a gift in there eventually. And, you know, it's so connecting to hear when people share their stories in community and you think, oh, me too, you know, and details might be different, but underneath it, we all share the same needs. We all want to be loved. We all want to belong. We all want respect. We want to be included. We want to be considered and, and be seen. These are human needs. And when you get in a room together with other women, women uh, you know, or, or whatever, but you get with a collective of people, what I call like-hearted people, and then you just feel this resonance. And it just, just makes us feel less alone in the world. <laughs> it can be really a lonely place as midlife. You know, the whole youth-obsessed world is saying... Ugh. You know, you don't really matter anymore. You, your best days are behind you. you know? And so there's something so beautiful about coming together with women, bras on or off, as we choose. <laughs> Maybe we'll call the support group low-hanging fruit. Yes. <laughs> Trish won't go anywhere without her bra, though. It's <laughs> not going to happen. And a vest, unless it's And a vest as well. Yeah, me too. I love a vest. But there was a wonderful sense of community, Donna, on the Deepening Into Life course that I did with you. Even though it was on Zoom, it was it was fabulous to meet all those people. And that was something that I started doing because you talked about this idea of in your second act, midlife, you, you kind of get the egocentric part of your life is in the past and you want to move towards spirit-led living, which is what I was very much trying to focus on. 
but I just thought we should just touch on the kind of the thing that's really stayed with me is the daily prayer and gratitude. And that was, you know, there's so many amazing elements to take from it. But that for me, and I find that if I don't do it, the day feels heavier. I can slip back into kind of negative emotions and the horrible voices in the head. Is it worth just quickly explaining, if you can do it quickly, why prayer is important and an easy way to prayer? I'm thinking of the kind of help, thanks, wow model. What I'm teaching is non-religious prayer. And so this idea of, um, which comes from a book by somebody who is actually a Christian called Anne Lamott. She's a writer, a brilliant writer and I, you know, really brilliant public speaker. She's written many books, but one of her books is called Help, Thanks, Wow. And I'm not interested in the religious uh, content of the book. I'm interested in breaking down prayer into those three elements, which is asking for help from the otherness of life. Yeah, just having the humility to ask, even if we don't receive. There's something very humbling as a human being to say, I need help, please help me. That in itself is uh, a prayer. And that, so that's the help piece. And then there's the thanks piece, which is gratitude. Gratitude is a prayer, whether it's hobnobs, whether it's the fact that you open your eyes and you can see when you wake up in the morning. You know, we forget that. <laughs> you you go to the loo, you can wee. I mean, it's like, this still blows my mind, but hey, I'm a bit woo-woo like that. So it's help and thanks and then the wow piece. And wow is about cultivating wonder, enchantment, awe at the miracle of life. And so those three dimensions are uh, or can be uh, part of uh, a non-religious prayer and how I pray is all different ways. But one of the first things I do when I open my eyes, I put my hand to my heart and I put my hand to my belly and I just say, thank you. And I feel moved when I say this, Lorraine, because for many years, I, in my real phase one of life, self-loathing, really destructive trauma-related behaviors, I was kind of trying to slowly kill myself. There was no guarantee, as there isn't for any of us, that I was going to make it to 56 years old and I have been gifted another day. So when I open my eyes and I've been gifted another day, which did not look like it was possible in my 20s, I'm like, thank you. And that is a prayer. You know, Meister Eckhart says, if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, it will be enough. So powerful, so moving. But just before we draw to a close with some of our favourite Donna sayings, can we just talk about becoming an elder and what that means? Because we often talk about this second stage of our life. We want to give back. We want more meaning. We want more purpose. What is becoming an elder? Because you actually run courses on this, don't you? I do, indeed. We live, basically, in, in, in the West especially, we live in quite a, an emotionally arrested culture. So lots of people are really not fully in their kind of maturity. So people, some people, don't be gender specific, Donna, but some people uh, are not initiated into adulthood. So they look like adults, but inside they're very childish rather than childlike. Mm. And so when we get older, when we mature into life, we're supposed to mature into life, but many people just get older. They don't get wiser they don't get better, they get bitter, they don't do any inner work, they don't do any self-inquiry, and they don't deepen. Understandably, again, because we're force-fed this, you know, youth-obsessed, don't you dare age, women, don't you dare age, you know. And so what happens is lots of women, they're grasping, and I've got nothing against surgery or Botox or any of these things, whatever tickles your fancy and helps you feel good. 
But if you're only focused in that midlife point on looking backwards at what has been, you are missing the point. <laughs> no, you are really missing the point. And what eldership means is that you turn your wounds into wisdom. You get both older and wiser. And as you transmute your emotional wounds into wisdom, as an elder, as I believe, you then are kind of duty bound, if you like, that sounds a bit formal, but you're, it's really your responsibility to be in service and to say to the next generation, whether that be anyone related to you or anybody, someone just a year uh, or a few steps behind you, they might not even be physically, uh, chronologically younger than you, but you're just kind of turning towards them and saying, as I always say, you know, you might want to not go down there. I've been down there. And the, a dog shit on that path there. You might want to go down that path. And they may or may not listen, but an elder is someone that gives you that guidance to kind of to reduce unnecessary suffering. And they are revered in many communities in the world. Elder women are brought in, aren't they? That's the joy of it. So we have, and we're always uttering these Donna sayings, Trish and I call them. Oh, it's a Donna saying. We say it's time for a Donna saying. So we're going to run through a few Donna sayings. Excuse the leaf blower that's just started next door, which the dog has been yapping at for 10 minutes. But anyway, my first Donna saying, I'm going to say it. You're going to explain it to our lovely listeners. You say, run questions by your own wisdom first, as you will probably know the answer. It means cultivating your trust in yourself. It means that women are intuitive beings and we often know but don't trust patriarchal trance. We don't trust our own wisdom. And then the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is a, usually related to external events, things outside of ourselves, a person, a gift, an experience. And joy is an inner celebration. It's a, a way of being which comes through healing and comes through gratitude. And you just feel this like bubbling up inside you. It's like, it sounds a bit woo-woo, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think jo joy is your soul's face. It's when you've cleared the debris from your um, system, joy is your soul's face. It's our true nature. It's who we were before we were hurt. This one, I think you need to explain the ego, because I know Trish knows this and has done, um, but I, I haven't done that. So you, you often say, follow your egoic response with what would love do. Just explain that, but also explain what you mean by ego, because you don't mean ego in the traditional sense to you. So the ego, as I would describe it in that sentence, is the unconscious mind. So it's that kind of, without cultivating any awareness, the knee-jerk reactions, there's sort of, it's just unconscious behaviors and and thought processes. And so when you, when you have that, the moment you you become aware is when you say, and it's all about pressing pause. The whole of midlife, by the way, is about pressing pause and taking those moments to respond rather than react. And then you can say to yourself, one of the things I say is like, what would love do? Or what would I do if I was really coming from my heart? There's another part of me, my ego part that goes, no, but I want to tell her, or I want to show him, you know, and, and that's okay. But I've done that many, many years and I'm an elder now in training and I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to come from a place of love and kindness. There's enough of the other stuff in the world. And then this final one, Lorraine, you might have to close your ears for this one because we know it upsets you a bit. Don't worry, you'll be dead soon. Oh, no, not me. <laughs> I'll be dead soon is the first thing I think when I wake <laughs> up, Donna. <so. laughs> in my melancholy midlife moments. 
What does that mean? <laughs> so this is part of being an elder is to love people within an, to within an inch of their life. And part of being an elder is also with tough love to, as I say, it's like throwing a, a, a glass of cold water in someone's face to wake them up. When somebody is really in their wounds, narcissism on crutches, as I call it, and they're still attached to their story, they've, say, say they've done lots of therapy, they've done lots of work with me, I know them really well. And then they say, yeah, but, you know, but that's because my dad didn't love me. And then I'll say, well, don't worry, you'll be dead soon. Which is powerful. Yeah. And I mean, I don't do it to strangers, please. (laughs) (laughs) I might start doing it. Oh, because none of this will matter. It seems so how big your bum is, but none of this will matter when you're dead. So let's, let's start living. That is brilliant. So... Tell our listeners, because you are going to be swamped now by women who want this kind of elder advice, because I think you're the first elder in training I've ever met. What's happening next? So my website is called uh, deepeningintolife.com. And I'm also on Instagram, as you know, at Donna Lanks, L-A-N-C-S. People want a little little sniff, a little taster of my work. So I've got two one-day relationship workshops coming up in London in the summer, July the 26th and August the 30th. No, the other way around. I made it up. But July, August, it's on the website. And then I've got the Becoming an Elder, which uh, Trish, you mentioned. That's a three-day training in October. And I've got a retreat coming next year. I'm super excited. And, and, And then all other bits and pieces on my website. Oh, brilliant. Well... We would both have to say thank you, don't we, Trish? Because oh, just thank you for goodness. your your, I know. Bu- your book, The Bridge, was amazing. It's life changing, but thank oh, you. I feel all calm and happy talking to you, Donna. Every time, it's wonderful. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's just so nice to talk to midlife women about this stuff. So thank you. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for having me. Genuinely. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As usual, fabulous guest, lovely chat with lovely Donna. I think that'd be really helpful for women in midlife, as is this section of the show, How to Win at Midlife. Uh, We're going to answer the niggly questions that we seem to get asked again and again on the private Facebook group, and I know women are chatting about from our listeners. 
Uh, some are a bit embarrassing. Some are a bit odd. Um, we've picked six, but I think we'll probably return to this theme at some point. There's quite a lot. Um, we put our questions to Dr. Emma Ping, who is a lovely group expert on our Facebook group. And she's also a midlife woman who's been through it all with us. Ooh. Yes, we like to be super useful, don't we? So Dr. Emma has been an associate at Menopause Care for the past three years. This was something that was set up by Dr. Naomi Potter and is a group of 12 menopause experts. She previously worked in the NHS and has worked in palliative care, which made her rethink her life. And she was a bit burnt out, had a tough menopause. And she's also an expert in ADHD too, as well as an advocate of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And she says it's all about getting a toolkit that works specifically for you and your particular problem. So do you want to kick off with the first one, Lorraine? I do. Small caveat, we're not medical experts. We would always advise you go to your GP if these are causing you extreme problems um, and you need uh, medical specific advice. Because as Dr. Emma says, this is quite a general response. We're all reacting in very specific ways based on what we're going through anyway. So, love this question on the Facebook group. Am I more smelly in midlife or do I smell differently? This is a question about BO, someone who was sweating, but not excessively, but really thought she smelled very, very bad. So, she asked what she could do about it. So, I said to Dr. Emma, Bio, what's going on? And she said, what happens? And we don't know because no one researches any of the midlife symptoms. <laughs> uh, we don't know specifically. But what happens is that as your hormones change, your sense of smell can change. So it's rather like pregnancy. And I don't know about you, Trish. I love coffee, but I always knew I was pregnant before I did a test because I just could not smell, be anywhere near oh, the smell of coffee. Yes. I couldn't stand yeah. it. It made me feel really nauseous. So you might be smelling horrible to yourself, but others might not be smelling that because their sense of smell will change in a different way. So um, so not to worry too much about it. Um, we don't understand why it happens. Hasn't been researched in midlife. Um, but what does happen in midlife is your temperature regulation goes a bit AWOL. It goes out of kilter because we know that with the flushes, etc. That's hormone place. That's the regulation in your brain, the lack of estrogen, etc., etc. And that happens in perimenopause as well. The other thing is anxiety and stress really affects temperature regulation. Mm -hmm. So if you're under extreme stress and anxiety, you may well be sweating more. The change of smell is obviously how you're smelling it, but you need to sort of regulate your stress. That would be her first tip here. You could just use a stronger deodorant. But she said it's all very individual, but don't worry about it because it's most likely others don't smell you in the way you smell yourself. So Put that one aside. One less thing to worry about and look at the stress in your life. Yes. Next one, Trish. Next up, again, hearing a lot about this, dandruff, getting either more dandruff or dandruff for the first time and wanting to know what is going on. Dr. Emma told us, of course, that we know that our skin changes with hormonal changes, doesn't it? So the estrogen drop and the fluctuations create drier skin all over the body. And dandruff is essentially, it's just dry skin, but it's on the scalp. Also, if, you, if you've got very sensitive skin, that could be linked to it as well. So um, she actually said she suffered uh, from it yeah. particularly. So um, she was using head and shoulders, I believe, for her dandruff. What you need to know is about the products that you were using, really, because your skin is more sensitive to drying agents in the gels, soaps and shampoos, especially the very lathery ones. Anything that makes you lather. Yeah. So she said that's the sort of problem, unfortunately. So, but it's, we like the lather, don't we? The lather, not good for the dandruff head. We like the lather. We think it's 
doing us good. And it's weird. It's a weird feeling, isn't it, if you use a product that doesn't lava, but it basically strips the oils on the skin and the scalp. Um, and of course, skin is a protective barrier. So need to think about moving away from the lathering and um, changing to an emollient to wash with. Yeah. Emollient. That's a nice word, isn't it? As we said, it sort of feels weird to start with. But what it does, it helps your skin maintain its barrier function and it will kind of help to build that and help to protect it and strengthen your skin especially, which is what we all need. So it's worth looking, there's kind of ranges of them. I mean, you walk into Boots and there's whole ranges these days, isn't there? There's like Dermal 500, Cetraban, Cetra-V. They don't look glam, but they're no. very affordable and they do the job. So it's worth looking at those products for your skin in general and checking if they do specific um, hair ranges as well. I've been using a little um, soap bar actually to wash my oh, hair. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like it. Like that. It. Chamomile one. Now, the next one came up quite a lot. Experienced it myself, actually. So the question was, I've developed breast cysts. Is this a problem? They are benign, the listener said uh, on the Facebook group. But should I stop HRT? Because I've had really confusing advice from my GP. Yeah, because they can get, it feels lumpy, doesn't it? And your breasts can yeah. feel lumpy with these. Well, it's lumpy and actually painful. Mm. So, um, you know, I had a breast cyst last year. It is really painful. It feels like there's something there. They kind of come out of the blue. Reassuringly, Dr. Emma says, this is so, so common in midlife. I mean, it's common from for all women at all stages, to be honest, she was saying breast cysts, um, benign breast cysts. Um, there is no specific reason for you to get them. Could be genetic, uh, could not be. Could be that your breast tissue is thicker, so you have a, a thicker breast tissue, so you may get more. You may have a history of them. There may be history in the family. But you may get more if you are taking HRT. But they are not a reason, Dr. Emma said, to stop HRT. 30 to 50 is the most common age to get them. But if you're an HRT user, you will more likely have them. So they see them around 7% of women on HRT, opposed to around 1% if you're not on HRT. If they are benign and your GP, so go and see your GP, your GP will send you off for a mammogram and an ultrasound, which is what I had, went off, had an ultrasound, saw the cyst, they removed the fluid in it immediately with a needle there and then. They said it's benign, I'm removing the fluid now. So it is quite a simple process if you do that. So get them sorted and don't worry about it, but know that you are more likely to have them if you are on HRT. Some women have denser breasts, so it's quite difficult to feel the actual lumps and bumps. Uh, you might just feel pain, so it's worse, you know, if you're just feeling pain, get that checked out as well. The thing is, you are likely to get them back, even if you've had them mm. drained. A lovely word that is, drained. They can be a bit uncomfortable. They are very common. Go to your GP, though. Make sure you get the test to check that they're benign, but you're going to have to sort of deal with them throughout the rest of your life unfortunately. Yes. But don't worry about them. Don't let it keep you awake at night once you've been to the GP. Knowledge is power because it will make you very aware, won't it? And you'll, if you're, you know, it's that thing about checking your breasts and something that feels very irregular, a very hard lump. You're just going to know more, aren't you? So that's, that's a good thing. And I think we're frightened with HRT, aren't we? We immediately think, and it is confusing when your doctor says, I'm stopping you, which I think it happened in yeah. this case. And as Dr. Emma said, this is not a reason to stop. HRT. Right, so right. arm yourself with the knowledge and go back into your GP and say, I don't want to stop because my symptoms are so terrible. These are benign powers. Can you help me? Yes, exactly. Right. We're going to do the blushing one now. Blushing. 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 So this one, I don't know what's going on with me, but I have suddenly started blushing. I get embarrassed and go really red. 
Now, Dr. Emma says there's a number of possible things to be thinking about here. First of all, ask yourself, is it the same as flushing? So are you feeling it more in a sort of heat coming up from the chest? That's like a hormonal flushing, perfectly normal, obviously, as we know at these times. Um, And a facial blush is a little bit different. And normally we blush or flush because we're stressed. And that's the worry, stress, midlife women and stress. It's our bugbear, isn't it? But the other things to rule out are some medications might make you more susceptible to kind of blushing and going red in the face. It could be a side effect from some prescription drugs. So if you just started taking something recently, work that out. Could be rosacea. Dr. Emma says that she sees a lot more rosacea in perimenopause, but they don't really know why. Um, They don't know the connection yet, as well as spots on skin. So that might be one for a a specialist dermatologist if you think it's rosacea. Now, the stress Stress is a bit of a vicious circle because we can then get stressed about getting stressed. It's very difficult to kind of unwind and pull yourself out of stress. And something that really helps with this is CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy, um, because it helps you to feel in control of the situation. And, And actually, there is good scientific evidence that it helps with facial flushing and it really helps to break that stress cycle. So a psychological approach might be what what you need. If you're really worried about it, though, or you want to try and find an expert, do go and talk to your GP because a lot of GPs do have ones that they can recommend. But there's a great book about CBT and menopause by Myra Hunter and Melanie Smith called Living Well Through the Menopause. And it's um, an evidence-based cognitive behavioral guide. So it's definitely worth a try for that one. Right. Heartburn, a lady Ooh, wrote. Yes. Uh, never had it before. Never had indigestion. Uh, suddenly I'm getting it. Uh, I'm in my early 50s. What should I do? Interesting, quite common, pops up all the time. But here's the conundrum here. Estrogen and progesterone hormones may relax the muscles of the esophagus. So it is something you might get when you're first put on HRT. So getting your hormones back may mean that those muscles relax and you might get the slight reflux, the little heartburn feeling uh, when you eat. Now, her advice, Dr. Emma's advice is if this happens when you start going on to HRT, you need to wait around two months, six weeks for it to settle down because it will settle Mm -hmm. down. You don't want it to go on for a long time because in rare cases, you you know, it's ulcers or stomach cancer. You would have lots of other symptoms as well. So do go to your GP if you've had it for more than a week or so. The damage from it can also lead to inflammation which again leads to other things, as we know. Um, It might be that your progesterone tablets are a bit hard to swallow as well. That might cause a little bit of uh, indigestion as well. So all of these things are kind of testing out what's going on. Now, don't worry about the stomach cancer thing because you will have other symptoms. So you might get tummy swelling, you might loss of appetite, things like that. So go to your GP if you have other things happening alongside your heartburn. But this is such a puzzle, she said, to solve um, for women because, you know, conundrum is the more estrogen, the, the more you have, the more likely you are to get it. Lifestyle, stress, spicy foods, all of that as well. You could look at eliminating things from your diet, maybe, if you think that's Mm-hmm. causing it. Um, but it's one of those things that probably if you're less stressed, it will be less there. But check about the HRT because it'll be the first six weeks where you might experience that. Very helpful. Right. Our sixth one um, that we're going to be tackling is the old bumpy leg and arm rash situation. You know, there's sexy. 
I have them. They're delightful. Little sort of bumpy things. Did you not once say to me, feel this? And I thought, why am I rubbing her on top of her arms again? Well, actually, not my arms. It's my on my um, calves, actually. It's really annoying. It's something I've had since I uh, was a teenager. And this is called kerastosis pilaris. And again, it's related to perimenopause because our skin gets drier. And we get bumpy skin. We can get a buildup of flaky skin on our arms and legs. And of course, the most common time, as I mentioned before, teenagers, teenagers really suffer from this because they're going through those hormonal changes. So it's a kind of another dry skin situation, really, that's at play here. So you may need to see a dermatologist if it's specifically bad. Obviously, you'd have to go and see your GP first, but apparently it's very easy for the GP to diagnose. It doesn't necessarily require you going in and seeing them. A lot of GPs will be happy for you to send a picture and then they can prescribe um, or refer to a dermatologist over the phone. So that's really good. You could well be prescribed a steroid-based cream. Dr. Emma is, she's a little bit sceptical about these and says really shouldn't use a steroid-based cream on your skin unless you really, really need them. Of course, they're effective, but they will weaken your skin over time. It's that skin barrier again, isn't it? So you really need proper clinical advice about using um, a steroid cream. And if your skin does get thinner as you get older, it will become more sensitive. It's susceptible to bleeding and tearing. So we're back to our lovely washes and emollients and exfoliants. So the very gentle ones. So I think that ties in with the dandruff, really. You might have both, yeah. in fact. So there we are. That's quite quite straightforward, I think. My uh, a friend of mine uses something called Ameliorate, A M E L I O R A T E. Um, they say they're the first washing moisturizer brand specifically for Kerastasis pilaris. Um, so it might be worth looking at that. You know, it works differently for everybody. Also, again, this is a lowering the chronic stress in our lives situation, too, yes. isn't it? Yeah, because stress won't be helping. If you will get flare-ups on your skin if you are yeah. under stress. Yeah. So I do, for, actually, with mine, I, cause I use a body brush and that really helps. It doesn't get rid of it, but it certainly helps it because it deals with that build-up of, of dry skin. But I'm thinking I'm going to have a go at that um, ameliorate one that you've talked about. That sounds really good. Well, we hope that was helpful. Um, yes. We have tried to be. We will, uh, if you just pop these things on the Facebook every now and again, we will come back to the odd and embarrassing questions. Yes. Um, we will pop the details in the program notes, which we put on the Facebook group. Won't we, Trish? We will. like to get in touch with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. Noodly doodle. Noodly noodle. Nostalgia noodle. We haven't had any singing for a while. Yes, here we no. are. Nostalgia noodle. What you got for me? Well, I've got a very summery one that just popped into my mind, which was... um. And with you remember this, Lorraine, being a year younger than me and all that, you might not remember because it was sort of mid 70s. Seaside special, Saturday nights, BBC One. Any recollections? Flashbacks of a big top. Yes. 
it was basically a sort of variety entertainment show in circus tents around all the seaside hotspots of the UK. In the 70s. In the 70s. What could we expect from that apart from terrible sexism? Terrible. Well, exactly. I mean, talk about the the wounds, the patriarchal wounds. There's a lot of patriarchal wounds. You just have to watch any clip, especially the opening sequence, which is the dancers dancing outside the big top and then being sort of perved over by some creepy clowns. Hot pants, are we talking... In hot pants, yeah, they're wearing hot pants. Yeah. And then you've got like Radio 1, Radio 2 presenters like, do you remember David Diddy Hamilton? Diddy David? Yes, I remember him. Short fella with a comb over. Yeah. Being so rude and sexist to like female guests. Oh, what, are you going to go away? Are you going to be naked? Are you going to, you know, all of this. Oh my God. Anyway, variety show. I like the dancers in the hot pants and I like the singing bands. They had Dana, people like that on. I didn't like the magic or the creepy comedians with puppets. I don't like a puppet. I find them worse than clowns. I mean, I don't mind a clown, but I can't do a puppet. Can't cope with it. There are no puppets anymore, are there? Not like that. Thank God for that. If you were doing Seaside Special now, who would you have on the roster? Well, I have a feeling... Was Lena Zavaroni? Was she oh, not one of them? Of course she was. Yes, yes she would yes, have been on she there. she might have popped mm. in. Would you not have uh, Claudia Winkleman in a big top hat? Oh, she would be good. She would be good. Keep it moving along. You'd yes. want a bit of Strictly, because that's our now, our Saturday, isn't it? Yes. I was going to say, because the dancers on Seaside Special, they were called New Edition, I think we could have done those dancers. They weren't. <laughs> well, it was my They're dream to technical. be in Pan's People. Do you remember from Top of the Pops? That was my dream. Well, they probably weren't very technical either. But uh, but yeah, a bit of Strictly. Bit of Strictly. Bit of Strictly. Bit of Claudia. I mean, can't see Harry Styles doing it, but you never know. No. You just never know. Saturday Night TV is the million viewing, yeah. isn't it? So, yes, exactly. um, But we have thankfully moved on from uh, Bridge. You know, I found an interesting fact on the sexism front the other day. Go on. I was looking at telly uh, and how obviously telly has affected Gen X badly because the 70s was bad for us. It was terrible. Benny Hill. Yes. Opportunity not. All these terrible things on a Saturday night. In 2016, there was a big survey on how often there was sexism on telly. 2016 telly, not yes. 1970s telly. Oh gosh, this is going to be bad. Women were five times more likely yeah. to be made the butt of a sexist joke on Saturday night telly. Oh, of course. Yes. And men were twice as likely to appear on TV as women. Oh, And not just in sport, in entertainment, everything, morning telly. It's not very long ago. It's quite annoying. Militant's quite cross about that, but she is still quite pleased we've got no kind of uh, Benny Hill and all of that malarkey anymore. Yes, thank God for that. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Well done, Lorraine, for getting through that. You've got a big red hooter. Oh. You're having a little bit of hay fever trouble, aren't you? I've been attacked by the pollen bomb. I was coming at me. I was just saying I'm going to put my swimming earplugs up my nose to stop this because I can't hooter. think of it. Anything else that's going to no, work, quite frankly. No, exactly. So on that note, I think it's time to say goodbye and thank you for listening. Goodbye. 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 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 